Hi, and welcome to the Just Rights podcast. In this episode, I have the privilege of hosting Sammy Chen, a remarkable legal professional with an inspiring journey to share. I had the pleasure of meeting Sammy at the event at the City Law School, where she generously shared her legal journey as an international student. Today, I will also have the privilege of talking to Sammy further about her legal journey and particularly her experience as an international student in the UK. Join me as I delve into Sammy's experience as an international student, her transition from Malaysia to pursuing a law degree at King's College London, her subsequent pursuit of the BVS at City University, and to her current role as a paralegal at CNVR. Welcome, Sammy, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Let's get straight to the first question. I have had the chance to read one of the global articles that you were interviewed in. You mentioned that you initially considered pursuing a career in English literature. How did you find the balance between your passion for literature and your practical considerations when deciding to study law? Thank you for reading my law board article. <laughs> um, that was a really fun one to do with City. I think towards your question that at the end of the day, the only thing that I can really say um, confidently is that that was just how things worked out for me. I think everyone would have such a different journey going into the law or thinking about whether or not the law is right for them. Um, for me, when I was choosing my degree and my university choices as well, uh, back in A-levels, I was just kind of confident that whatever subject I did, as long as it was something in the humanities, I would actually enjoy it. Um, mm -hmm. And I would just kind of try my best to navigate the degree itself. I was really more excited to try and be independent and go to like a different country rather than too worried about what I was going to study. Mm -hmm. It may come across as a bit arrogant trying to say like, oh, whatever I end up doing, I'll be all right. But um, I think it was because I didn't really want to think too hard about picking between something I'm so passionate about, like English literature and the creative side of me, mm -hmm. and also the the cost of it that I know a degree would, would bring with it, like the financial commitments that my parents at the time would take on. So I thought studying something more practical, like the law, something with a bit more like um, like a vocational component towards it mm -hmm. was just the, a more practical and a better decision. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I don't regret it. I mean, I think there's always that thought that, oh, maybe I would have enjoyed something else a lot more, maybe an English degree or um, a history degree. But I ended up learning a lot along the way, and that was the goal. So, yeah. Having said that, uh, just to add on, for those of you who are thinking, well, if I just do everything for the sake of pragmatism, how do I kind of keep exploring those other passions or interests that one might have, that I have definitely. And I think for me, that's literature. And throughout university, I kept it very close. I kept reading books. I kept writing in my own time. I joined societies. I think it's not impossible to do both um, if you have the energy to. And I have friends who encourage that side of me as well. And I'm mm -hmm. grateful for them because it just means that I'm just a slightly more multidimensional person. And I just come across as someone just a bit more genuine, someone interesting to talk to. I find that in a lot of industries, maybe especially in the law where it's so competitive and everyone, they know kind of what it takes. You can get over obsessed with fulfilling a certain set of criteria and you sort of mm -hmm. lose a bit of personality and a bit of mm -hmm. what makes you you. So like, I'm, I'm glad I have these two kind of conflicting sides, one might say, to my interests and what I want to do. 
so yeah it kind of helps so that's how I kind of went about balancing it um between pursuing a career in English or a career in the law so yeah mm -hmm. yeah thank you for sharing that Sammy um I had the same situation of trying to reconcile the two conflicting sides mm. um of like you know needing to continue to do something as well so I completely agree with you um mm. it's very important for students to know that choosing one field of study doesn't mean you have to neglect your other interests entirely my point is exactly that finding a way to you know incorporate yeah. multiple passions into your life is a wonderful approach and definitely yeah and your your example of joining the creative writing society even as a first year law student is a great reminder that you know everyone can still actively seek opportunities to engage with their other interests too as well yeah. so yeah and, i think that's important and i think it's important as well to embrace um just a quick note here mm -hmm. i agree with kind of how you resonated with that because I think quite a lot of us would would be in that position you don't go into the law mm. loving necessarily or like yeah. always wanting to always having wanted to be a lawyer like I never thought of myself as um, a law student or a lawyer let alone you know going into it yeah, yeah. but I'm only 24 a lot of people say oh you're so young mm -hmm. um, you know you don't have to worry you can change your career anytime but I think even if you are a bit more mature and you have like slightly more responsibilities it's still not impossible that it's still not out of reach if you can do both like do both you know yeah and I've seen so many people um change careers after you know a while mm. um so it doesn't matter how old you are um it's important just to recognize your you know interests and never yeah, it's what them. it's what you want to do not yeah. any it's not anyone else's um like business or responsibility exactly like, yeah so that's something very important that every university student should know i think speaking of universities after completing your lrb at king's college you went on to study the bbs at city and for those of you who may not know what the bbs is it's the bar vocational studies program to prepare students to be called to the bar of england and wales so my question for you sammy Reflecting on your time at City and completing the BBS, what were some of the most valuable lessons or experiences that you remember? And how did those experiences shape your understanding of the legal profession? Yeah, so reflecting on my time at City, completing the bar, I think the whole thing was just so stressful. And if you ask any bar student, um, we put in so much effort, it feels like a fever dream. And then you come out of it and you're like, wow, <laughs> never doing that again. <laughs> But it's 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 weirdly just a necessary part of the journey to becoming a barrister. And it's such an artificial, but also weirdly interest, like necessary and interesting thing. Mm -hmm. um, whenever people used to ask me this question, and that's, not a lot of people do, but whenever they do, um, I always tell them like anecdotes about, oh, my city professor once told me to do this. And, you know, I, I remember that now in my work as a paralegal. But I think aside from learning the procedure and applying what I learned, which is the whole point of learning, um, to to my work. The most valuable lesson that I took away from the bar course was the fact that you cannot be the person that undermines your own hard work. There's going to be so many other people and other factors that will try and do that or kind of indirectly or unwittingly undermine what you think is your version of hard work. Mm -hmm. And I think... If you are to survive, you must have that mental energy. And the only way to do that is to always be your own number one fan. It sounds very weird, but 
all of us tend to overthink about a lot of things because we're, you know, it's a very high achieving profession. Mm -hmm. So it's normal to feel like, am I doing enough? Oh my God, that person is so much better. Or yeah. oh, other, it comes naturally to other people and I can't get there, you know, but it's, it's really a people focused profession. And that means it's the people that make up, you know, what it means to be the bar. It can mm -hmm. feel very competitive. It can feel very ruthless. And sometimes you don't really feel human. You just kind of feel like somebody that's going through the motions, mm -hmm. trying to survive it. But it's important to remember that not everyone receives the same experience or exposure or resources when they start out or even when they like end or throughout the whole progress. So you have to be confident in your day to day, even if you've done not as much as the next person, at least you've done something. You got to always consider where you are and where you stand in relation to other people. That's not to say make excuses. That's not to say like, oh, I can't get that far because, you know, I'm not the majority demographic. Or I'm not what they want or I'm not what I don't sound like them or I don't look like them. Mm -hmm. um, that Don't do that, obviously. But it's mm -hmm. more like it's for something so overwhelming and so big to accomplish, like the bar course, each little thing and start that you do um, is just, is just as important as the next. It, it's a very piecemeal process to get the whole bar course into your brain. <laughs> um, although it's like difficult to come out of that because you're, most of us would be like fresh from university going straight to the bar course, mm -hmm. especially if we're international students, just cause we don't have time mm -hmm. and we need to like some way to stay on um, in a different country. I think after going through the whole experience um, and learning how to be my own cheerleader, mm -hmm. that was really like my way of putting my self-worth um, into something other than my grades or other than the numbers that I was seeing on the page mm -hmm. um, or the kinds of people that I hang out with or the connections that I knew or how many events I went to or who knows who and what knows which and, you know, because um, that's going to always be there. That's the entire bar. Like when you socialize, when you go out of work, that's going to be the thing that you notice the most. Mm -hmm. And although they are important, there are ways to easily gauge your own progress and to make yourself an interesting candidate for whatever job you end up doing. Um, it's just you have to find a more sustainable way of doing it. And I think going back to yourself and getting that inner confidence is is key to that. It's not really spoken about so no, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Not a lot of people talk about that very much. And it's important, you know, when you're pursuing such a highly competitive and demanding profession or even studies like law, it's important not to put too much pressure on yourself. I, I know I personally did that when I first joined university and it was not the best experience ever. There are other qualities that contribute to, you know, a great approach to life beyond law school mm. and it, it's just a great reminder that success in the legal field involves not only technical knowledge or your grades but also your also your ability to navigate relationships you know understand different yeah. perspectives make good decisions and obviously self-confidence is very very important so yeah I agree yeah. with you totally and and I'll tell you something as well. Uh -huh. The thing, because it because it's a client-facing work and because it's mm. like that's so people-focused. Um, once I've come out and worked a little bit kind of in the legal sector, um, mm. definitely from a chamber's perspective, the barristers that I respect and that I look up to the most aren't necessarily 
the smartest ones or they aren't necessarily celebrated as like the best in their area but obviously most of them tend to be <laughs> mm -hmm. um obviously you have to be very intelligent to get to a certain place in your career but I remember and I like them not because of those things um it's very nice that they are those things but mm -hmm. it's because they are kind they're considerate and they sort of have a more human touch and they have things that make them very witty or very mm -hmm. likable just human I think and yeah you're too hyper focused from a very early age on trying to be a certain way um it's it's just not going to work it's just not going to blend well when yeah. you go out into that big big world mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah where everyone is trying to do the same thing you just have to find your way of dealing with it and having discussed your experience with the BBSS city could you share more about you know the journey from completing your bar course to securing your current role as a paralegal at 7BR can you Describe the type of work you're involved in and some of the interesting cases you have encountered. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll keep the journey kind of short because I feel like it's not as interesting. But the key word, I guess, is tenacity. Mm -hmm. uh, somebody taught me that the other day. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, oh, yeah, that is that is a good way to describe it. So it's it just be tenacious. And it's it's not an inborn thing to be tenacious one can be tenacious just by being bloody persistent. <laughs> Excuse my language. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, after after the, well, towards the end, I guess, of, of my studies, um, the sort of, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be at university next year. I have to figure my life out, dawned on me. And I, I the first thing I did was apply for the graduate visa because, you know, regardless of your own journey, you need to kind of follow the home office timelines for that. So mm -hmm. after I got that, I was kind of less panicked. The only thing left to do was to get a job to kind of justify the graduate visa. Mm -hmm. So then I just applied to like each and every opportunity. Before this interview, I was looking through my LinkedIn, like easy apply or saved jobs kind of history. Uh -huh. And I really, I genuinely I don't think I'm alone on this, but I can genuinely say I applied to so many random jobs. Uh -huh. As long as they were vaguely in the law, I was there. <laughs> You're not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> it, was, it was actually like around, I mean, it's it's like 30 to 40. I'm not going to say that's a lot or it's average or it's very little mm. because again it's what you have time for right so yeah. that was what I had time for and, and for that I, I barely had time and it was just like I, I wanted to be I don't know an in-house legal assistant there was another one that was like very random it was like Alexandra McQueen paralegal I was like what do I do in a fashion house <laughs> I, just, I just I didn't even know and I applied anyway and that's just the kind of thing that you have to do to kind of feel out what it means to apply for a job like after mm -hmm. looking at so many different criteria they start looking the same and yeah. you start getting a feel for okay what do firms actually need like they and at the end of the day if it's a junior role or it's a graduate role what they need is just the right attitude you don't need to have like a lot of experience even if they ask for like preferably one year experience or preferably experience in this area of law it's because it's preferable like they don't have to train you as much mm -hmm. but if you have the right attitude and you have kind of the the basic like qualifications that they are looking for just go for it you know and mm -hmm. you, you don't know where it will take you you don't know if that like job application is going to tell your LinkedIn algorithm, oh, they're interested in these kinds of jobs and you get another one and maybe that other one works out. And, you know, so just kind of do like any and everything you can um, if you want to get a paralegaling role or anything similar. 
In terms of working within chambers, um, I really enjoy it. I think it's such a unique opportunity, especially if you want to get to know what barristers do, what they actually like face day to day, how they work, how their diary works, how their life is run, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, be a legal assistant, be a personal paralegal. I think a lot of individual barristers hire them. There's a lot in commercial sets. And my one is a common law set. Again, not very common in common law circles. So if you're looking mm-hmm. for a multidisciplinary experience, I would definitely recommend this job that I'm doing now. Um, So yeah, I think treat it as an in-between, make it clear that it's a stepping stone, Uh, make it clear like to yourself. And then also during your interview, um, be ready to answer questions like, oh, what's your three-year plan? What's your five-year plan? Mm -hmm. Because that's all it is. Like it's it's part of your plan, right? So Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, keep that in mind. That's the kind of attitude and be positive. Be positive Mm -hmm. regardless of any rejections or how many you get. Each time you start a new application, like do a little mantra, be like, okay, this one's going to work out. This mm-hmm. time they want me, they'll want me. They don't know they want me yet, but they'll want me. You know, yeah. <laughs> it sounds really silly, but I actually did that for my seven application oh, and okay. somehow I got it. So it might be coincidence, but, <laughs> um, and the interesting part now as to the work that I actually do, mm-hmm. um, where do I start? As I said, it was a multi- it's a multidisciplinary set. So it's a lot of interesting work in like opposite sides of the spectrum in practice areas. But um, some of the memorable ones that I've done recently is um, I did, it sounds like a small contribution, but I did like bundling, uh, which Mm -hmm. is just basically putting things into an index and then into folders. Um, But it sounds more complicated than it actually is when you kind of have to find that specific reference or that specific authority, or you have to trick to the library Mm -hmm. and kind of scan like a very archived piece of document, but it's like crucial for that argument (laughs) that they're trying to run. It's really fun. If you love research and you love like going around legal, like to the four in libraries, Mm -hmm. um, it's a good way of doing that. So bundling, I did about 10 bundles each about 200 to 400 pages. Um, It took me like half a day, almost a full day, but they were used in a very recent Privy Council uh, trial. And a Privy Council is basically just the Supreme Court, but sitting in a different jurisdiction. They physically are in London. They're still in the Supreme Court building, but they Mm -hmm. have like different flags up depending on what jurisdiction they're hearing it in. So this one is to emulate the Court of Jersey, Mm -hmm. uh, which is obviously a different territory, like a different jurisdiction. It was a case um, concerning three different appeals and it was very complicated because it had, um, I think, money laundering offenses mm-hmm. prior to it, but it also had like different trust issues mm-hmm. to do with like property and where it's going to go and whether they can claim it. Um, it's called the Robert Tantular Appeals and mm-hmm. the barristers that I was helping, uh, the counsel that I was helping, both the KC and the junior counsel they were extremely experienced they spent I think so much time on it and the case law was extensive um, that I had to bundle and seeing it all come into place and also seeing it on screen because uh, Supreme Court and Privy Council hearings are mostly live streamed on their Mm -hmm. official website oh that's a top tip as well if you want to watch them just go to the website it's free (laughs) another one is a court of appeal case that I helped to do some case law research on So this is very different from bundling because it's the authorities are not set. Like, I don't actually know what is going to be useful, what is not. It's up to me to kind of find as many as possible, as much as possible, and then put it all into a cohesive table or summary note for Mm -hmm. the council, for the barrister to kind of 
consider and then whatever they find useful they can use in their own submissions or they can bring it to conference with their solicitors or their clients so this case in the court of appeal was about terrorism um, or terrorist related issues and the opposing counsel in the case was from matrix chambers um, another very well-known set and it was kind of high pressure because we were on we were junior counsel led by casey from Temple Garden. It was about something quite novel. It's never been considered by the Court of Appeal before this case. It was a type of order that's very similar to a terrorist control order, but isn't actually. And they were saying, how is the court's approach going to defer or is it going to be the same? And basically, I had to find case law that was going to try and answer that question. Uh, We were on the side of the government. So we were instructed by the Secretary of State for the Home Department. And after I finished all the research, I was like, okay, that's that. You know, I'm never going to see whatever's going to happen with that. Because a lot of my work is just that. I'm, I'm a part of the process. Mm-hmm. So I never quite get the treat of seeing the end result. But this one, I was able to go for the two-day hearing in the Court of Appeal mm-hmm. and just kind of see it happen. Like, see the arguments being put forward. Um, out of, I think, the 20, 30 cases I found, one case made it into the real actual trial. Wow. And that is, you know, I don't know... It, for lay people, that would be like, oh, it's only one. But actually, that's kind of, that's quite massive for like a paralegal because a lot of the time, the work that you do just never sees the light of day. It might help somebody understand the, the, the issues, but, you know, it probably won't be used. Like, that's the expectation. Yeah, it was great. And they were going into it with the Court of Appeal judges who were asking such sharp questions. And you kind of just see like a level of advocacy that you don't just, you know, get to see maybe in... Um, lower claims or smaller claims you know day to day like and it was for two days as well it was very intensive so that case if people are interested in reading the judgment of is qx versus sshd um, and you'll see it's like 2022 or 2023 i think but yeah it's very recent so those two i think um were quite memorable and made me appreciate um, being in chambers rather than many people because it's it's so different um, how it all feels and how it all comes together. That's so interesting. I'll check those cases out. <laughs> yeah, regarding your role as a paralegal at 7BR, it's so cool and so fascinating to learn about, you know, the different tasks, the diverse range of responsibilities you handle. You mentioned not searching endlessly on LinkedIn. That is very overwhelming. I agree completely, especially after a big decision day. Like, for example, the day when people find out if they get pupillage or not. Um, This year, I think it was like the 5th or the 6th of May. Uh Um, It's usually around May as well. The day after, I thought I would be okay. Like, I thought I was handling it well, like the rejection and everything. Uh Um, But I went on LinkedIn and everybody was posting about how they got the pupillage or this and that. And I was like, oh, it's a lot. It's too much. (laughs) I just didn't look at it for a whole week. I'm waiting for it to sort of settle down, you know, because, you know, people should celebrate. And and Mm -hmm. LinkedIn is a very overwhelming place for that as well because everyone is putting their best foot forward. Yeah, it's not as good as it seems. And one very, very important thing is people tend to think, oh, it's an individual journey. Sure it is. I mean, Mm -hmm. yes, you're the one that's going to end up with the job, career, all the pressures, um, the benefits, the, the rewards. But 
share your resources, like share your insights, um, mm. motivate each other. And even if you don't do the same thing, like a lot of my law school friends currently, they're aiming for more commercial or corporate facing roles. Yes. And although it's not for me, when we ever, whenever we get together, I try and kind of speak about things outside of the law and bring mm. that well-being side to the friendship. So it's not all just, you know, work, 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 and oh, who's better than who, and what's the next step, or oh my gosh, you know, it's like, it's too much. And mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very important, like, just share resources, share perspectives. Don't be afraid to, like, be a bit more vulnerable, you know, especially if you consider them friends. Like, it's not meant to be a competition all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of that, could you very briefly tell us more about some of the challenges you faced during this period as a paralegal, if there's any, and how you navigate them? Yeah, I think I had a tough time adjusting to the work environment. Mm -hmm. um, I was very, I wasn't scared about getting along with everyone. I think generally because I'm quite an open book and I consider myself quite friendly, mm -hmm. um, I wasn't scared that people, you know, like wouldn't really take on with me or wouldn't think that I was like good to work with in the office. Mm -hmm. What I was most afraid of was like the cultural barriers, mm -hmm. um, whether or not I would feel isolated because truth be told, like right now, um, for all that we're doing with inclusivity as the chambers and really as the bar overall, it isn't really there yet to mm -hmm. make international students feel very confident in terms of like, oh, that's a place I can see myself in. Um, yeah. And I'm the only I'm the only East Asian person in the office, let alone Asian person. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's only one other woman of color at the moment uh -huh. um, in the staff, at least. Um, mm -hmm. So you know, I was just kind of like, well, what if what, what I can bring is kind of just weird or whatever. But at the end of the day, I let my work speak for itself. I try to get everything done to the best of my ability. I try to be on track. Um, and definitely in the first three months, obviously you go through probation. So you kind of um, just do your best, like uh, fulfill all your job objectives, be good to people, uh, be professional at all times. Mm -hmm. and just kind of learn and there is always going to be office politics if i can say my pet peeve like that is my pet peeve mm -hmm. the fact that there's always going to be someone that doesn't really align well with the way that you think and the way that you communicate but it's just very important to remember that if they're not outrightly malicious <laughs> and you know that and it's just like a difference in style just kind of accept it go with the flow and sometimes you can like lean into it a bit, make it like something that's amusing rather than take it so personally. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, like, I don't think you can survive for long if yeah. everything is like so serious, right? Mm -hmm. I've learned to take myself less seriously. I've learned to take a lot of things less seriously. And one mantra, I guess, that my boss, my, my current manager really likes to say is you have to know the difference between what is urgent and what is important. Because mm -hmm. if something is important, it might not be urgent, but if it's urgent, it might not be important. And like mm -hmm. everybody's emotions come into it when it's urgent and when it's important at different in different ways. Yeah. And because you're a staff member, a lot of members maybe speak to you in a way that isn't the way they would speak to like, a, like, like another barrister or like a judge or something, you know, or their own client even. Mm -hmm. But it's okay. Like it's just part of the workplace. They're not necessarily rude. It's just like a more kind of authoritative way of going about things. And it's fine. I mean, if it really disturbs you, then you can bring it up with your manager. But if it, I feel like I've just taken on the chin, you know, like it's just mm. part of life.
Thank you so much for sharing that. Let's move on to the next question. Balancing work, studies and personal life can be challenging, especially when you have multiple commitments. Can you share some strategies or practices you have implemented to maintain a healthy work-life balance while also juggling your responsibilities as a paralegal and as I understand an LLM part-time student? Yes. So this is okay. This might be just like a bad habit of mine, but I tend to be so like hyper proactive at every stage of my life because I just think there's so much to learn. So um, yes, I am doing a part time uh, master's. It's going to take me well, hopefully it's going to take me just two years. It's slightly different from a normal master's. It's with the University of London. People can go and Google it, check it out if they want to. But it costs less than a full master's and it's very flexible. It's entirely like virtual Mm -hmm. self-learning and kind of balancing that with a full-time job where a lot of your progress is kind of how much work you take on. Like my life just feels like you have to be so self-disciplined and you have to be so motivated like on your own to be able to get through it day to day. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I found like a specific or perfect balance. I just sort of fall into steps with um, what the day requires. So I take it day by day. I don't like to think too much into the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously you want to know when your exams are or when certain deadlines are, and you have to think ahead in terms of like getting things done on time mm-hmm. or planning out, you know, how do I finish this research project? Um, or, you know, how do I balance these three different tasks that three different barristers have given me? And that happened to me on Friday, uh, but then go home at a reasonable time. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, okay, today, these are my challenges. This is how I'm going to tackle it. And if I don't finish it within this time, or if something interrupts me or disrupts my schedule, then this is my plan B. Like, this is where I will have extra time to do it. It's just thinking practically about what you are capable of. And if it gets too much and you're not really coping well, Mm -hmm. or or like myself, you may experience like a dip in your motivation. Mm -hmm. And because the motivation is the fuel to the engine that is you, right? the dip was so disastrous like it was I just couldn't I didn't have any motivation at all to like do anything or do it at the same pace that I usually would um what I did instead was I just took a break like I took a day off um Mm -hmm. for my mental health I thought about things um I did things that I actually enjoyed doing like I read books Mm -hmm. I did a bit of shopping um I collect like these pop mart figures i don't know if people mm-hmm. would know them but mm-hmm. um, i you know go and look at these figures like in the store just to cheer myself up um yeah i talk to friends reach out to people and just kind of try and find a way to get back into it you know mm-hmm. and that was what that was what i did but if it's like just a time issue there's always an extension there's always one one of the tasks can be extended you know it's not as urgent although it's important like i mentioned before There's ways to work around it. That's really how I balance it, just by the needs of the day, rather than this is my formula, this is my strategy, and this is how I'm going to live the rest of my life. Mm Because I don't think that's realistic either. Um, Because, yeah, I mean, my life two years from now is not going to look the same. I'm not going to have the same priorities. But I know I'm going to have more than one priority anyway. So, yeah. yeah. Take, take it step by step, day day by day. You finish a task, reward yourself. I agree. Maintaining a healthy work-life balance is, you know, an ongoing process. And it's important to remember that, you know, it's okay to prioritize self-care and personal well-being. Definitely. Um, yeah, it's a very relatable aspect of many students and professional lives. Now let's shift our focus onto life as an international student, studying and working in the UK. 
as an international student who moved from Malaysia to London, could you share with us more about your move and what it feels like to be an international student studying law in the UK? Oh, um, definitely intimidating, to say the least. I remember um, standing in Heathrow at the arrivals area, waiting for my taxi. I couldn't even process the fact that I had flew something like 11,000 miles, 14 hours, you know, to this weird new place. It's cold. I'm miserable. Everyone looks miserable. And I, Snapchat was still a thing that I used back then. So I remember like snapping like all my, you know, school friends who also had just like moved to different countries or to different universities at the time. And I was like, okay, here we go. And I didn't really know what I meant by that myself. But I think because suddenly you feel like, okay, I'm responsible for even the littlest, tiniest things. Like, I need to be the one to buy groceries. Mm -hmm. I need to be the one that's, like, cleaning my room or doing my laundry and keeping on top of it. And, like, I'm the only one that's going to kind of do it. And if I don't do it, then nobody else is going to to teach me. You know, nobody is going to remind me to do it. I think everyone would feel a certain level of isolation and fear Mm -hmm. stepping into it, regardless of your background or, you know, where you came from, how many friends went to the same uni as you. And the important thing that I kind of held on to this whole time was like, okay, no matter what, like, you have to remember your roots, you have to like, Mm -hmm. respect yourself. Because in London, you can feel anonymous. And that can be good, too, because you feel a bit more free to explore different things Mm. that maybe in your home country, like society or culture kind of doesn't let you explore that, whether it's your own identity, or for some people in the LGBTQIA+, (laughs) since Mm -hmm. it's Pride Month, um, since, you know, and like maybe they want to like be able to be themselves a bit more or yeah. you don't want to be seen by like other people so much um that's good london is amazing not even london like i feel like the uk in general or the west like it's yeah. like amazing for that but <laughs> at the same time you just kind of have to also build a thicker skin you got to learn how to like walk and talk like the locals mm-hmm. um, but also stay yourself like that's it's, it's a weird balance Um, And I think every international student will feel it. And if you see like um, a person that didn't start out with an accent, but suddenly like the next time you see them, oh, why are they trying to like have a British (laughs) accent? (laughs) Kind of like, you kind of get it, but you also naturally kind of disconnect with that person because you're like, oh, you're not being genuine. Like you're not being Mm. authentic. Like why are you ashamed of where you come from? Because you shouldn't be, you know? And I know a lot of people like my friends, so they have like Chinese syllabic names. like um you know my my chinese name is like Zheng Xinyi and mm-hmm. if i went by Xinyi rather than Sammy but i've always gone by Sammy but if i went by Xinyi i might have cut it in half and i'm like oh just call me xy or oh just call me yi or like oh just call me sin yeah. but that's really not my name like it's just to dilute it so people don't mess it up or people but that's not true like your name is so important like it's your it's how people remember you it's how people address you yeah. um and you have to be you have to insist no matter how many times, like upon people addressing you the way that you're comfortable with them addressing you. Mm-hmm. And I think international students, you have to insist upon like being yourself, yeah. um, especially in university when it's like everyone is so different. Um, in terms of actually like the law, um, I, I'm a bit embarrassed to say I didn't really work. I, I don't think I worked as hard as my friends, uh, but that's only because I got like a 2-1. Uh, but not to say people who get 2-1s don't work hard. I'm saying like 
me personally I was busy mm-hmm. having the time <laughs> so I just like I did everything like I did so many societies I did so many moots advocacy competitions I did like crime mock trials I did um I did like a the Wildy and Sons no vice moot I did like negotiation competitions um I dabbled in like um, a negotiation workshop you know dispute resolution stuff like I loved oral and like verbal advocacy so that was where I put a lot of my energy in law school uh-huh. um, so you know that's how I kind of crafted my experience but yeah. I'm lucky that I enjoyed some of my subjects like when you get to do your optional modules I enjoyed EU law that's like not not really an optional module but when EU law was kind of going through Brexit that was my law school experience mm-hmm. I was like wow this is interesting and I did um, law and social theory um, like I said I had a general interest in humanities so the first chance I got to like sort of cross discipline like kind of subjects I kind of I always took that option so law and social theory I did in my second year I looked at philosophy and how that fit into law as an institution and whether or not law is a moral good or a moral bad like what is it why do we have it um and like it's it's wonderful and I still have the books from my module back then because I still read them for fun and finally I did like a British legal history module um which was really interesting because I went to um, different archives well at the time it was locked down so I went I went there in the sense that I went on their website <laughs> so like I did archival research which is something you don't get to do in law school as an undergraduate um, mm-hmm. and I built my own dissertation based on like opium trading in the colonial era um, for like the Malaya and the Straits um, kind of like study and how the law was how it played into it you know Mm. and how the law I think my thesis was a bit like the law was um, encouraging of like commercial interests rather than labor rights and human rights in that era because Mm. of the way that the judges the commonwealth judges would like phrase their judgments and you can see how that carries forward into like modern day judgments like where is the law's priority and even though we want to think about law as free from politics, free from social pressure, it's really not at the end of the day. I mean, there's always a flavor of what does the mass public think, you know, and mm-hmm. why some why a judgment is so important. Why people, for example, pay attention to like the Miller case, why that was like the case for Lady Hale's career. And mm-hmm. she said it herself. I, I'm not putting words in her mouth. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's it was just like these kinds of subjects really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And I still talk about them really enthusiastically, um, as you can probably tell. So, yeah, and it's, you know, it's just something that you, you make your own, I would say. And I respect people who work hard in other subjects very much. Um, I don't think you should, again, think about your time at uni as like good or not good based on the grade you finally get. I think mm-hmm. you should think about where you put your heart, where you put your energy. And if you did well in those things, then you've made it worthwhile. Like, regardless of the piece of paper that says you've finished three years or four years, like regardless of that, it's it's up to you like whether or not you kind of cherish that time. And for me, like framing it in that way and not being over obsessed with my like I don't know academic like objective performance um like I I really enjoyed it on top of all that pressure of what I mentioned before like having to take care of yourself on top of all of that finding your community all of that stuff you have this and if you Mm -hmm. don't make it all like enjoyable and worthwhile like you're it's not going to be good like you're just not going to be happy so yeah yeah um I understand you are in the KCL Malaysian Society, am I correct? So 
the KCL Malaysian Society was it's really good if you want to go into your national societies um, try and find it if there's no none there's probably like a regional society because mm-hmm. I was also in the Southeast Asian like ASEAN society mm-hmm. um, so yeah I mean Malaysian society I really liked it because I got to meet other Malaysians I got to like hear my mother tongue my favorite part about it was I did like this theater production called KCL M Night I went to my friend's Thai night it was also really fun it's all very similar across the board but for uh-huh. M Night first year I was like one of the cast members so I got to like sing and act and be like a little theater kid again um, and then <laughs> on my second year I decided to like grow up basically and I was like oh let me do like a proper you know like a team like senior team job yeah. so I became like a co-producer and that was really fun because before that I had no idea like how to do like a soundboard I didn't know mm-hmm. anything about, like lighting or like storyboarding or prop building or you know putting a team together and like putting in specific cues and it was so fun it's like you get a flavor of like every angle um, and it's a bit like law it's a bit like seeing it come together drafting it oh can we reform this can we like improve on this oh, yeah. and like everyone else is your client right like everyone yeah. else is just waiting to see the finished product but they don't see like the blood sweat and tears that sometimes literally blood sweat and tears <laughs> that go into like the you know stapling together like script pieces building the tickets coming up with like promotional stuff so yeah I really enjoyed my time I met a lot of amazing people like fellow students and like listening to them like complain about their professors or like how difficult their coursework was like if they did like a coursework kind of degree um, I felt a little bit better that all I had to do was read a few words memorize it and then apply it to a problem question for like 45 minutes you know I didn't have to build a code I didn't have to like make a whole presentation and justify oh why I think this medicine is good you know like I wouldn't know how to do that that's you know so. yeah yeah so I think it's it's really great and you get you get a sense of community and just to go back to your um first point briefly about you know mm-hmm. moving here was so intimidating because I really resonate with that it was no, the most never. terrifying experience ever <laughs> Well, we all do it. I mean, yeah. even as we speak, there's probably people like, you know, sending off their UCAS applications. I mean, it's, mm. it's that time of the year, isn't it? And then se- come September, yes. the airports are going to be flooded again with like fresh, yes. terrified faces, the poor baby, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, like if, you know, if they find out about this podcast and it gives them a sense of, oh, it's going to be okay. Like mm. if Sammy's fine, I'm going to be fine. You know? <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, so we briefly mentioned about, you know, the benefits that London have to offer. Could mm-hmm. you maybe briefly tell us more about any specific opportunities or advantages you feel were unique to studying law in the UK as an international student? Yes, uh, my short answer is there are many. <laughs> but uh-huh. My long answer, I think there's like three main things. Yeah. Um, the point number one, I think, because like... Um, well, I come from a Commonwealth country, Malaysia, um, but even then, the UK is like an international hub. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't come from a Commonwealth country, there are so many advantages. So the first one being like location-wise, it's it's where all the minds come and converge. It's where all the summits happen, all the conferences happen, interesting talks almost like nightly every week. So many events. Yeah. Like you, there's no way to attend all of them. There's no way to meet everyone that you that is worthwhile meeting because everyone is so bright and mm-hmm. so on their game and so interesting and have something to say. So it's good because you just never run out of resources. You never run out of 
potential connections. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, you have access to these amazing libraries. As a law student, that's like, it's, it's like godsend, you know, finding that specific book that you need that you mm -hmm. might not get if your own country isn't as well stocked or doesn't necessarily have that resource. Um, it's just a better way, like geographically placed kind of region in the world um, mm -hmm. if you're looking to expand your knowledge in the law or different areas of law or explore it a bit more in yes. a short amount of time. Um, which fits into the international experience. The second thing about studying law in the UK, which is really good, is the fact that it's very sophisticated in terms of their legal system. Um, a lot of countries look to the UK um, to kind of build upon their own legal systems, like the system of precedence. Um, a lot of countries kind of still hang on to um, what this judge says, why this decision was made. I know the other day, like one, I, I can't remember which country it was, but basically in the judgment, it said something like the UK justice system is considered like a cornerstone of the mm -hmm. legal world. And so if the judges in the UK didn't think better to do this, then I don't think it is my, I don't think it would be this court's opinion to, to go against that. And I feel like that's so telling of the place that the UK has when it comes to responsibility and like it's, it's gravitas basically in the type of law that comes out and the type of law that's being that's being formed you know day to day like in the courts in in, in chambers and law rooms and, and just yeah I, I don't know it just struck me like oh that this is real like this this is what you do and if you can make it if you can pursue your career within such an environment then it's just a, such a wonderful thing isn't it I mean I mean that's why people fight so hard for it that's why we try so hard is because eventually we kind of realize that like there's no there's almost no better place to be if you want to be like that at the heart of what law is um or at least what english law or you know the western idea of the laws is mm -hmm. and um the third thing that i would say that is really advantages about studying law in the uk mm -hmm. uh, and why i chose to do it in the uk rather than like take an exchange year or go to australia for example yeah. um is probably because there's something about like a law school that it, it sounds very weird it's like very it's almost romantic to study it in like the UK because of like the buildings and like the architecture and like the history behind it mm -hmm. um, you get to sort of walk the streets where this case happened or like this law was made like you get to see the courtrooms where literally history was made. And, and if, if you're interested in legal history, like I am, you get to breathe like the same air. Mm -hmm. um, and like, you just never know who you'll bump into. Like the UK is just that sort of place. I mean, I had the pleasure of meeting um, one a former Supreme Court judge just because, you know, Chambers has him as an associate member. So yeah, I mean, and he, what he had to say was also really, really great. And I was like, wow, okay. And you just kind of see that and you kind of put yourself out there. Um, and there's so many ways to take your career. It's so diverse. I think if I went back to Malaysia right after I graduated, there would be like maybe one or two different ways that I could bring my law degree. I could grow it. Mm -hmm. Like either be an advocate solicitor or like um, be in-house counsel or something like that. But in the UK, you don't necessarily have to like concern yourself with I'm either a solicitor or a barrister. Um, that's a very binary way of looking at it. Obviously, that's like a lot of people's end goals. I mean, I'm not exempt from that. Obviously, I still want to try again for the bar and, and hopefully get pupillage. 
But if not, I know that there are so many other things. Like I could be an arbitrator and qualify that way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what my master's is on at the moment. Um, I could try and be a professional paralegal, like I mentioned before. I could get a different qualification, like transfer my legal skills. And, and, and the UK would be fully supportive of that. It, it's an environment where a lot of options and a lot of connections are open to you. That might not be the case back home where there could be like cultural divides or like social political divides, like at least in my own country, that might be the case sometimes. Um, Or there might be a lot of barriers um, to meeting those people that you need to meet. Um, So yeah, I mean, those three things definitely, I feel like are distinct advantages for anyone who wants to like make, make it, you know, pursue excellence and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's the thing about being in London, isn't it? It's such an all in one city. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and you can travel so easily everywhere. Yeah, yeah, like you said, um, if you're in central London, the walk from your inn or your chambers or your university, it's like yeah. most of the time, less than 15 minutes, I don't know, to yeah. London's most famous restaurants or bars, you know? Exactly. So and it, cafes yeah. are amazing. <laughs> yeah, oh my God, yeah, every corner. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, moving on. Uh, <laughs> do you have any tips for international students on balancing the demands of studying law and adjusting to life in a new country? Um, as well as securing work experience or internships in the UK? Mm. Um, oh my gosh, that's such a weighted question. <laughs> it's a good <laughs> question though. It's, I, I don't know, I feel like to put a disclaimer and say like um, everyone's, like everyone's way of dealing with stress is so different. I have two tips. Uh, first one is make sure you're having fun. If you mm-hmm. find yourself like really sad or like stressed out, then maybe stop doing the thing and then mm-hmm. go do something else and then come back to it. Or speak to other people who are maybe going through the same things, even if what they have to say is not exactly helpful or they try to like, you know, give you advice when you don't really want advice. I mean, that's fine. At least they're listening, you know. Mm-hmm. At least you're ranting in a way, like you're just venting it, get it out of your system. Mm-hmm. And then make sure to keep like the positive emotions and make, make have, like have fun. I, I, you know, there's a way to enjoy all the aspects of your life and what you choose to do Mm. Um, and if you find yourself not really enjoying it and it's like you're scared that you'll just never learn to enjoy it then maybe it's not the right one it's like it's not the right thing for you at that at that moment in time Mm -hmm. Um, just kind of like step back for a bit and, and think about why you're doing it in the first place um, a lot of decisions are like that, especially if you have limited time, limited like resources, as a lot of us international students have, mm-hmm. um, like after our degree or even during our degree. Um, yeah. And if you need like experiences that will really push you to grow up, like I really wanted to grow up for some reason. Like I had to, I, I told myself, okay, I've been living in a bubble. You know, I came from international school. Like that was the perspective I entered, you know, this whole independent thing with. And I was telling myself, okay, I need to like, learn how to I don't know have a thick thick skin like I mentioned so what I did was I took on like two different part-time jobs Mm -hmm. um, alongside my studies I did like Kumon tutoring I was the tutor and Mm -hmm. I watched these kids like cry over their math homework I'm like oh you poor thing but your (laughs) problems are so small and you know you kind of learn how to like handle their emotions and through mm-hmm. that I could now say oh I have experience you know speaking with younger people because that's mm-hmm. literally my job you know yeah and, like I did waitressing I think everyone has to work in a restaurant at some point in their life mm-hmm. um, or retail at least if not a restaurant 
and just have like the weirdest customer interactions and like you know learn how to take things less seriously so that you're not as stressed and then when you go back into your studies and you go back into that environment of routine and like classes and other students you enjoy it so much more because it's not as hard as like working and then you're then I found myself going like oh no this textbook is not that thick I can get through it because I got through like a six-hour shift I'm fine you know what I mean like so you know have fun like like experiment try new things that was my that's my first tip (laughs) Um, and the second one is really easy be healthy (laughs) like sleep get enough sleep um if you don't want to sleep, that's okay. You can watch YouTube or, you know, talk with your friends. Like, as long as you're having fun. But if you're not sleeping because, like, insomnia or something, like, you're getting in your head too much, that's not healthy. Put yourself first. Like, put your health first. Like, just be healthy mentally, first of all. Because I feel like men- mental health dictates all the other healths that we need to take care of, like, as human yeah. beings. Like, if you're not mentally healthy, you don't have motivation to be physically healthy. Like, you won't go to the gym. You won't eat well. Like, you won't even eat, you know. Mm-hmm. So be mentally healthy. Um, like, that's part of having fun. And, like, take care of yourself. Just just do those two things and you will be okay. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned about, you know, all the different work experiences. And I, yeah. I feel like being an international student, we have, you know, unique cultural backgrounds and we have different Mm. perspectives on things and we have a global mindset Mm. that could make us you know an ideal candidate compared to other candidates if you know what I'm trying to say um I definitely know what you're trying to say (laughs) so yeah I saw this um LinkedIn post I reposted it to my LinkedIn so if you guys want to like connect with me if you go to my LinkedIn post like I'm always reposting um, things that I do in my day-to-day work. I'm also posting things that I see might be helpful for international graduates because that is, it's just something that's so close to heart and so close to home. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the posts is about, you know, international graduates are like more resilient than the next candidate. We yeah. are more creative We are because we need to creatively resolve our solutions. <laughs> we are excellent organizers. We have to like plan two years in advance. Oh, am I going to be like, illegal like am I, am I gonna be uh-huh. deported how do I avoid <laughs> you know like so you know we have less time so we tend to be like more proactive like more go-getters yeah. and we also tend to just be hardier we just because of our culture because of the way that we have to adapt we're just hardier material like we're more flexible mm-hmm. when it comes to like understanding other people's perspective or more empathetic and if we get over the language barrier and the cultural barriers we're also better communicators because we know more than one language you know so you like keep all of these positive things in mind like and don't don't let the kind of majority or what it is now demotivate you because change is coming like people do want it to change Mm -hmm. it's just there are so many like inherent structures in place that um, maybe isn't as like globalized as we want it to be. So I, you know, I agree with everything you say, Vara, about mm-hmm. you know international graduates having the upper hand on on a lot of like aspects in terms of being viable candidates. And mm-hmm. we just have to like drill down into that in terms of like making yourself original, mm-hmm. um, like human human beings. You know, um, you know, be yourself. Like yeah, thank you so much for the tips. Finally. Could you share with us any advice for aspiring barristers who are currently in law school or considering pursuing a career at the bar? Yes, I have, um, following my fashion, uh, two pieces of advice or two top pieces. I mean, there's so much to say, right? But the first piece of advice is don't start too early. 
Um, mm -hmm. I think especially, I don't know, I think solicitors, like the training contract and like the vacation scheme structure might require you to start quite early just because you have to keep up with like the different hiring seasons. Yeah. Um, but for the bar, because what they're looking for is people who are at a certain stage of maturity and mm -hmm. they're able to handle the workload and the pressures of being like a self-employed barrister you have to be more of an adult for le le for lack of a better phrase like you have to be more like um assured of yourself and like at a better place and like know what you're doing and know why you're going to the bar in order to have a halfway decent application and in order to like hold your own in like in the event that you get an interview right mm -hmm. so i think first piece of advice don't start applying for pupillages too early start by going for the work experiences mini pupillages you know internships uh even if they're at law firms like do them anyway because you can say i've done this one at a law firm it was not for me that's why i'm going to the bar like turn everything into an opportunity but definitely build up your awareness of what the bar actually is what it involves before you think or before you even consider applying for uh, a pupillage um, like don't worry about everyone else you know it's it's your own pace if you don't feel ready you're not ready like yeah. you're going to waste a lot of time you're going to cry a lot of tears and mm -hmm. you might not even end up getting an interview and you're going to feel even worse when you don't get an interview because you're going to like feel like oh I'm not good enough like why should I even try next year but that's not the case it's just because at that point you haven't seen quite enough yet to make mm -hmm. your your make your application that much more persuasive yeah. to like the recruiters at the at chambers, right? Mm -hmm. um, the second thing is definitely explore different practice areas. I know when I was doing law school and when I was doing bar school, the majority opinion for international graduates is we need to get um, like, oh, I need to get... Um, I don't know, like a stable career very quickly. And a lot of parents also pressure their kids. But definitely don't cut off practice areas or don't cut off different kinds of laws like just because you think it's not going to be practical in the future or it's not the thing that everyone else is going towards. It's all about things that you can do to improve your situation year by year. And that's why I think don't let kind of people at like a university stage or at a very junior stage don't let what they say put you off what you actually want to explore you know mm -hmm. if it's something quite niche maybe broaden up a little bit like if you just want to do shipping law yes there are amazing chambers that do shipping law or majority shipping law but that's not the only law they do like you don't get in money just by doing one specific thing especially not when you're very junior uh, mm -hmm. or just starting up. So like look around shipping law, like what else is there in the commercial circles that you can do an internship in, or you can like write an art journal article for, or like go to competitions for and, and try and explore the kinds of works that barristers actually do. And mm -hmm. after all of that, if you're still convinced, okay, this is the path for me. I really like it. I like what I see. Then, then that is when you are probably more ready to send in your pupillage applications because you have something to say because you have reasons as to why you're saying the things you're going to say in the application like why a barrister why this chambers why this practice area what do you like about it those are the questions they're going to ask you they're going to want to see whether or not you bothered to look into it so yeah, yeah. i mean those two tips like first of all you know don't do it when you're not ready second of all make yourself ready <laughs> so yeah <laughs> in a nutshell yeah, that's very, very valuable. So yeah, absolutely. Making the most of your experience and just enjoy. I think that is a good time to conclude our conversation today. 
and Amazing. yeah thank you so much sammy for speaking with me and sharing us your journey and experiences your insights and advice are truly truly valuable and i hope you'll join us again soon no worries i'm very happy to join you again hopefully with a pupillage in a future episode <laughs> Um, but definitely if people want to stay in touch I'm very easy to find on LinkedIn I think I'm just Sammy Chen on there and yeah if you enjoyed this episode please follow the Just Rides podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify stay tuned for our next episode where we will continue to explore the fascinating world of law justice and social impact thank you so much for joining us on this exciting journey until next time